Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, February 9th. Earlier this week, the Calgary Emergency Management Agency updated their yearly emergency preparedness plan. We find out which events are now listed in the high-risk category for the city from Sue Henry, Chief of Emergency Management and 911. A security memo has raised alarms over the potential of election interference by China in the Canadian political system. How does the federal government plan on addressing foreign influence on elections? We discuss with Sam Cooper, National Online Investigative Journalist with Global News. And finally, tax season is approaching. Have you taken full advantage of RRSPs and TFSA contributions? And do you know which option is the best financial fit for you? We crunch the numbers with Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada. Calgary Emergency Management Agency, SEMA, updated their yearly emergency preparedness, and we have learned from previous disasters and hopefully pushing those ahead to help identify high-risk events moving forward. Joining us to discuss is Sue Henry, Chief of Emergency Management and 911 from the City of Calgary. Good morning to you, Sue. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. My pleasure. Well, before we go further, and it's interesting to me anyway, and maybe Sue's in the same boat here, Sue DL, uh, <laughs> that... I did not know much, I did not hear much about SEMA until the floods back in 2013, but SEMA is not a a brand new entity. So if you can break down what you folks do and the umbrella, uh, those items that are under SEMA, because it's quite big, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. So we're an emergency management agency that's made up of over 60 different partners that all come together when something happens in the city of Calgary to make sure that we're able to respond and that we're all focused on the same things. So that's the same priorities, starting with life safety of both responders and our uh, citizens. So all these groups, all these organizations have come together updating the yearly emergency preparedness plan. That must be a daunting task with what's going on around the world today and how we have to kind of bring it back home to Calgary, Alberta and Canada, right? Absolutely. So this status of emergency preparedness report that we went with yesterday is a great chance for us to highlight exactly where we are in terms of preparedness on things, as well as highlight what happened through the past year. And and you're right, we look to all around the world to understand what's happening so that we can also be ready if they fall into some of our risk categories. How broad is the list that you folks look at, Sue, as far as potential disasters identified by SEMA in the report in emergency preparedness? Can you give us some examples and and what might be new this time out this year? Absolutely. So we analyzed 65 different risks for the city of Calgary, categorized those risks based on the impact, the probability, and, and what might happen in the city of Calgary given all of the mitigation that's in place for them. We ended up with 16 high risks and there isn't anything new. The risks just move around Mm. depending on the current context. So you'll see this year we elevated three different risks into the high risk category to give us a total of 16 high risks that help us focus the planning. What are the three new high risks? Can you kind of break those down for us? You bet. So we have civil disobedience. We have... um, pandemic, which won't be a surprise mm-hmm. to, to anybody that is, uh, that's listening to us this morning, as well as uh, a dam breach on the Elbow River. Okay. Interesting. When we, when we say civil disobedience, what does that look like in, in, in the city of Calgary? So for example, how would uh, things set up to be a potential hazard for civil disobedience? I don't think on a, a Thursday like today, we, we'd see, you know, unrest or gatherings in, in uh, huge masses in the downtown core. So, so what sort of items are, are triggers for that? Absolutely. Our our Calgary Police Service is the lead for all of our police and security threats, which civil disobedience falls under one of those pieces. And it's really looking at the context, context of the rest of the world and how we're seeing these types of events increase 
and knowing that there is a chance that that could happen here and we need to plan and prepare and be ready for if that does occur. So would we be looking at things like the January 6th riot in the U.S. as well as the the trucker convoy rally in front of Parliament Hill in Canada, those sort of things in terms of, you know, we look at those happening elsewhere. What happens if something like that goes on here? Absolutely. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, Let's talk about that Glenmore dam breaking. That's kind of fascinating to me. So, I mean, obviously we can picture sort of what might happen, but how do you sort of prepare for fallout from that as a potential disaster? So the the dam is a great, great example of how this risk assessment works. So that has been upgraded to a high risk because of the potential impact. Uh, If you'll remember, the gates were raised on the dam, which which creates more storage capacity in the dam. So what that means is if we ever had a problem, and I'll be really clear, our dams are very, very safe in the Calgary area, uh, it would mean a larger impact downstream to both people and to the economy. So that gives us where that risk rating comes into play. We've done a great deal of work around flooding and around preparedness for flooding. And that's everything from exercises to structural mitigation to, to making sure our communities are prepared with insurance. When you, when you mentioned this, what, what came to mind for me also, when you mentioned the dam, I mean, we're not the only city or region with a dam. Does SEMA, in, does our local organization collaborate with different countries or different cities to see how they deal with different things and different threats that they're looking at and examining? We do. We have multiple different connections in with other cities. We're very connected to their emergency management agencies, as well as we have an incredible team in river engineering that works with all of our partners to make sure that we are ready for things and learning from events in different communities. Let's talk about um, how we as residents might prepare for whatever might be to come. You know, are there sort of some steps we need to do or things that we should keep at home? What are your thoughts on that? There are definitely some things that every Calgarian can do. The first thing is make sure you have insurance. Make sure that you've taken the time to get homeowner's insurance if something is to happen. Make sure you have a plan. Make sure you have a 72-hour kit and you know where you would go and what you would do if something happened, especially if your family was in different places when something occurred. That's a, that's a very good uh, yeah. a personal responsibility. I like the sounds of that. Track Let's, down your kids and your yeah, teens. and Yeah, and it's, it's funny because, yeah, I think that it's in grade two or something that uh, kids come home from school with that fire escape plan, mm-hmm. something we've talked about on the show, and uh, but then we forget about it every year past grade two. Um, yeah. when, when we go back in something I referenced, the 2013 flood, where I was like, what is this SEMA that we're talking about? And the lessons that we learned in 2013 and the steps we're taking to prevent another 2013 from happening, is that something that's still very active within SEMA? It is. Uh, certainly within our river teams, they are still doing structural mitigation pieces and working with different levels of government to make sure we can protect ourselves as much as we can. We're still implementing lessons that we learned and we continue to do that from every event, especially around communication. There's always going to be a balance for us of making sure the community has the information that they need, that it's credible and that it's quick. Um, somebody's asking, you forgot to ask how prepared we need to be for a zombie outbreak with The Last of Us being so popular. But uh, I've, I've seen it. It's on Im- TV. It happens. It's an important question. Uh, but you mentioned exercises. So are your teams constantly out sort of in the field doing exercises? And what does that look like? The team is more in the emergency operations center doing those exercises. So we bring all 60 agency members together two times per year and run a huge scenario and aligned with our high disaster risks to make sure that we're ready for those events. There's also a series of smaller tabletop exercises, we call them, that occur regularly throughout the year. And it allows us to to focus in on some, some more minute pieces of the planning process and make sure that we're ready. 
Incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, we appreciate you uh, doing what you do, uh, Sue, because I tell you what, I mean, uh, we, we did again. We've witnessed these things. 100%. And I can, I, I, I picture this as almost like SEMA being the quarterback of the football team because we've got some great players. And the Super Bowl is every day. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're not going to ask you for your picks, but yeah, all eyes <laughs> on thank you, thank you so much for your time, Sue. We appreciate it. My pleasure. That is Sue Henry, Chief Emergency Management and 911 with the City of Calgary. A 2017 security memo has been released about concerns over potential election interference by China. The memo highlights the increasing threat of foreign interference in Canadian elections and the government's measures to try and address the problem. So what's the significance of this memo? How concerned should we be? Joining us to talk about it is Sam Cooper, National Online Investigative Journalist for Global News. Morning, Sam. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Can you break down a little bit about this 2017 memo, why it's so significant? Sure. Uh, we have been covering since November uh, this story of uh, the government's knowledge of China's interference into Canada's elections, specifically in 2019. We reported that we reviewed uh, intelligence uh, documents and, and talked to sources that, uh, that showed 11 candidates in greater Toronto area alone were targeted for influence by consulate officials in that province in 2019 federal election. And uh, it's a, our, our investigation showed this is a vast network. It's not just Toronto, but community groups are tasked by the Chinese government to engage and uh, indeed covertly transfer funds to Canadian politicians. This is the evidence in Canadian intelligence documents. So to, uh, to the June 2017th memo, I reviewed documentation from the Privy Council office. This is a, a high-level uh, Canadian government institution with an intelligence function to warn the Prime Minister and appropriate cabinet mem members of uh, national security issues. And so the document I reviewed says that uh, a memo was prepared for the Prime Minister's office, indeed directed to the Prime Minister, and uh, at the request of his Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, in June 2017, we reviewed uh, what what is a draft memo and the prime minister's office has not acknowledged receiving it that's an important point to to understand but the document speaks for itself in my review it says that uh intelligence has evidence that uh, china is supporting canadian politicians running for office it goes on to say it's well documented that china foreign influenced espionage uh, is targeting Canadian uh, officials and uh, unelected officials. And this is well evidenced. Other uh, allegations in the memo prepared for the Prime Minister are that China is aware that uh, the, the politicians it strategically wants to engage in Canada are being uh, scrutinized for potential conflicts of interest. The quote said, and so China is using community groups uh, to engage with uh, these Canadian targeted politicians. So really, uh, when, when I boil it all down, what this means is our earlier report said that from uh, 2020 onward, uh, senior government officials are warned of this election interference. This memo takes that timeline back to June 2017. And uh, I'll end my answer on this question right here. Uh, we have talked to officials that said, contrary to some counter arguments from the Liberal government, uh, that, that they may not have been warned or understand the gravity of these intelligence warnings, our sources say 
for at least five years, there have been very repeated and interactive dialogues with the Prime Minister's office on serious threats within Canadian political parties of China uh, seeking to uh, infiltrate and subvert uh, Canadian politicians. Just before we let you go, we're tight for time, Sam. You know, how the heck is this, you know, uh, going under undercover to a certain extent for, for almost six years? That's uh, that's the question that uh, I, I believe will be uh, asked on Parliament Hill increasingly. Look, our sources say that uh, a source said in, it's inexcusable that given the amount of well-documented evidence provided to the prime minister's office since at least 2017, that this government should have moved forward and instituted legal reforms such as a foreign agent registry and uh, what are called hostile state actor laws so that uh, these uh, broad networks, not just from China, but the principal threat is from China, also Russia, also Iran. uh, These agents working undercover can be prosecuted in Canada because it's not easy. It may even be impossible now to, to convict people for this new form of foreign interference. Sam, thanks so much for joining us and breaking it down. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. Sam Cooper, National Online Investigative Journalist for Global News. It's time to catch up with, I'm going to say this, and he might blush, one of our favorite guests, mm-hmm. Bruce Celery. For sure. And uh, Bruce Celery, of course, CEO of Credit Canada. Before we get down to business, because you're all about the business, Bruce, <laughs> I want to welcome you to QR Calgary Talk on FM. Let's hear how you sound on FM. I have been doing some vocal exercises to add an additional layer of resonance given the significant move in the way our listeners consume our voices. I did not think you could sound any better, but here you are. I, thank you. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's get to something that you know a little bit about, and by that I mean a lot more than Sue and myself. RRSPs, TFAs, WTF. Uh, No, all these different letters. And it it can be confusing. We want to maximize our money. That's why we talk with you. Uh, But you might want to know what is best for you, where to put your money. So where do we start, Bruce, uh, this uh, tax season? Yes. So first of all, both of these acronyms allude to a container. It's just a container. And a lot of people will say like, oh, I got to invest my TFSA. The the nuance there is it's just a container and both those containers can contain lots of different things. So you can put stocks in there and mutual funds in there and ETFs in there. And the where there is a choice to be made is which container do you focus on for what? And the purpose, the primary purpose for an RSP is retirement savings. For a TFSA, you can save for anything in there. So that's the probably the most important distinction is that they were designed in a different way. And the way an RRSP works is you defer tax into the future. And the idea is when you retire, you won't have your employment income, your income will um, be lower and you will drop into a lower tax bracket. So that's why deferral makes sense. Tax-free savings account, you put after-tax money in there. You've already paid the tax. It's not, the the money that goes in there is not tax-free. What's tax-free is the gain. Mm. So they're different. I think if if you looked at the math strictly, 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 they'd be about the same. It depends on what you are saving for. Yeah, I remember many years ago, my, uh, you know, uh, financial guy said, hey, one of my kids needs braces. Start a TFSA. 
for that yeah. specifically. So, yeah. I mean, they can have many different reasons, right, and different yeah. uses and purposes. Can your TFSA just stay in place, though, and, and you know, gain interest for you as the year, years go by, like an RRSP? Yeah, you just leave the thing in there, the stuff in there, whatever it is, and it compounds magically. You also, with that return, you don't pay tax on it. Whereas with an RSP, uh, you will pay tax on withdrawal because in that moment, it becomes income. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'll give you the way I do. So if it's for retirement, and tis the season, so if it's for retirement, I say start with the RSP. And then there's a couple of exceptions, but start with the RSP. It's what it was designed for. And it has a much, much higher limit. So it depends on your tax bracket and how much you're saving. But an RSP, you can save almost 30 grand. There's almost 30 grand in contribution room there. TFSA is limited at around six. So, you know, maybe for some people, six is a big stretch. But for other people, they want to save more for retirement than just six. The RSP is going to be critical. The other benefit to an RSP is its inflexibility which is infuriating and super helpful. Because if you withdraw from an RSP, you're paying a massive withholding tax and people get super upset, um, but that's helpful. It was designed that way for a reason because our 30-year-old self is trying to do what's best for our 70-year-old self mm -hmm. and yet they don't wanna because they have a car repair or some other thing that they want that money for and it's harder to get the money out from an RSP. Uh, you know, Bruce, I, I've learned over the past number of years a couple of things, things that I didn't think were, you know, uh, businesses are businesses, but, you know, wanting our money in different ways. For example, university is a business and the banks yeah. is a, it's an institution, but it is a business. For example, I was there a few weeks ago because I thought, well, I can get a lower interest rate with one of the products and, and you know, uh, maximize things because I've listened to you and consolidate. Yes. And when I was there, they said, well, what you should be doing is getting a $20,000 RSP loan because then you can, and I said, oh, okay. And then I realized, <laughs> it, you know, it's a product and they might not exactly be looking out for my best interest because somebody named Andrew Schultz will be on the hook for 20000 <laughs> even though I get kind of a, a kickback. When do I know or when do you, do you think it's a good idea to take a loan out to invest in one of these products to get the tax benefits? Does it, is it ever a good time? It, there can be, and I write about this in my book, but here's the simple rule for me is don't take on debt you don't need to take on because the bank certainly is making uh, margin on that. So the, the math can work. It's not that it can't work, but here's what I would rather people do. Set themselves up so this coming year, you don't need the loan. So you automate that RSP withdrawal every single time you get paid, whether it's you know a traditional paycheck or you're a gig worker and you have to manually take you know 20% of that check and hide it away. Um, but I'm a bigger fan for setting yourselves up so that this is a habit, it is sustainable, and you can just do it um, over the course of time without requiring a loan. Okay, and kind of on that note, you know, money's tight. So how do we find the money to contribute? And if we do even set it up like you're talking about, how much makes a difference? Like if I do $5 a paycheck, it's, it's not going to, yeah. yes, it's better than nothing, but it's not going to do much. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to do much, but it is better than nothing. And I think what we know about uh, people who get a handle on their money is they have habits. It, it boils down to habits. We've talked about habits before. So if five bucks is what gets the habit started, that is for sure better than nothing. Um, you know, I think... <sighs> 
setting this money aside is way harder than this. It's a cliche, cliche warning here, mm-hmm. paying yourself first. Because when that, my, all of my stuff is automated. So it just, it departs. It leaves my bank account. I don't even think about it. And then you deal with the problem of being like, oh my God, I don't have enough money to do all these other things. But you've paid yourself first. And especially in these times with interest rates and inflation, it's brutally tough to do. But that's what the magic is, because you can't hope that you'll have money left over. There's going to be no money left Mm -hmm. over. You're going to spend it because life is so expensive. So you have to look at your cash flow and say, geez, could I make 500 bucks work? Get that out of your account first, because no one has it at the end of the year. That's a good point. Yeah, we wait and wait and maybe it was January 1st. Yeah, but you, yeah. you talk about paying yourself first, Bruce, and I've heard that before. I've heard that line from from many people in your field sure. and people a lot smarter than I am. But I, I have a hard time paying myself if I've got, you know, debt on a, a high interest credit card, for example. Yeah. Is it still yeah. a case of tackle the debt, the highest interest first, then get on that path, or am I still paying myself first? Well, you're you're tackling your credit card debt first. And that, I mean, I am evangelical about that. I am ruthless about that. It is so critical. But I think the step that maybe people need to do is go back to basics and look at their cash flow. What's coming in? What's going out? And what's it going to take to eliminate that um, credit card debt? Once you have got there, and that is no easy road, then you go back to that cash flow and say, okay, where's the 500 bucks coming from? And that's getting transferred out first. Thank you. I'm pulling my head out of the sand and I'm going to go to (laughs) creditcanada.com. Thank you, Bruce. Always love chatting with you. Great to talk to you. And you both sound amazing. Thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) You can come back anytime. Uh, That is Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada. Again, creditcanada.com. And you can go to his website as well. Moolala.ca. 